0: three, two, one. Welcome to Breaking Balance, redefining work, success, and life balance for all sales and marketing professionals. They are international speakers and coaches straight out of Jersey and the home of Spark Tank Media. Here is your host and co-host, Jeff Lobb and Nikki Brand.
1: What's going on? Welcome to another awesome episode, Breaking Balance. Nikki, ba- Nikki Brand here. Hi, everybody. We've got an awesome guest today. Um, we're trying to bring on some amazing people from around the country. Um, mm-hmm. Good friend of mine and colleague in the biz a long time. I want to introduce Michael Lafito. He's joining us today. Michael, how are you doing?
0: I'm doing well. Thanks for having me today.
1: Thrilled. Um, so real quick, I'll let Michael do his own intro, uh, but um, marketing luxury group. Mike and I go way back to speaking how long ago have we been? We've been speaking on the circuit probably, was it 10 years ago?
0: Yeah, it was um, probably 10 years ago now.
1: 10 years ago?
0: Yeah. Sales,
1: marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I met Michael, um, it was all about how do you be outside the box? like mm. How do you be creative? And Smart. it was what I enjoyed about working with uh, Mike. And he's up in the Chicagoland area. Um, but what's cool about what you do, Mike, is the, the luxury market you're in is, is a lot of Wow. So mm-hmm. if you don't mind, um
2: Michael is gonna bring the wow factor. He's gonna bring the to wow to break the
1: balance. <laughs> um but yeah. I also know we also know the stuff you juggle, so we'll like to break that down. But real quick, intro yourself, tell us a little bit about your background and
0: yeah, so Michael Lafito, based in the uh, Chicago suburbs of Wheaton, Illinois, and uh run a couple of businesses. One a licensed real estate agent, uh run a a uh, small lean mean team. And we work with buyers and sellers, primarily sellers, uh, luxury price points. And uh, I also run a, a coaching consulting company to help real estate agents and brokers and teams strengthen their presence in, in the luxury and increase their average sale price and go after some of those upper end price points.
1: Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So, you know, I think we want to break down today from the business side and the personal side. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I have tons of questions about. You're, you know, from speaking and doing the the, um, consulting stuff to juggling luxury market, you know, how did you have to pivot your business when the pandemic happened and stuff shifted and travel kind of shut down? Which way did you pivot on that?
0: Yeah. So, uh, you know, take you back to 2019. I I did, I think, 32. I spoke at 32 various events across the country or attended. So, you know, traveled two to three times uh, a month. And, uh, you know, I have a fifth, now I have a fifth, fourth, and third grader. So at the time, you know, fourth, third, and second. And, um, and so definitely, obviously, the pandemic halted travel. So, you know, we had to adapt and bring as much value and stay relative, right? I mean, um, many agents uh, had various, uh, you know, choices and trainings. And so we, we launched a new series called Luxury Lunch and Learn during the pandemic and we had uh, industry experts on and we streamed that uh, initially we did, uh, you know, three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, you know, during those first, you know, April and May, uh, right? When kind of everything was shut down and bringing value to the industry. And then, uh, then we kind of spread it out during the summer and just did once a week. And uh, so that was one way, Jeff, that we still continue to brought value to the industry and stayed relative.
2: Mm, that's brilliant.
0: Yeah,
1: you had to. I mean, I still watch a lot of people go virtual, and you know, the luxury market—it's—it's it's so broad. So you can really have such a strong reach, even beyond even our country, um, of trying to reach that luxury. You know, and who doesn't want to learn more about how to win luxury listings, right? I mean, that's mm-hmm. the name of the game.
0: So yeah, I mean, my, my message, you know, usually resonates with most real estate agents, which is a commission-based industry. Is you know how to increase your average sale price, and so. You know, that's kind of what we teach in our books and our designation, but most agents, you know, in between the years, uh, you know, they have limiting beliefs and they they held themselves back many times as to, you know, why they don't do any lead gen or prospecting or go after some of those upper price point properties.
1: Yeah, I think it's the limiting belief is you know, the, the fear of not knowing they can do it, um, the, the they feel they lack the skill, they feel they lack the marketing.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: I think it's a huge business impact of where their limiting beliefs are. I like that word. It's the perfect choice. Yeah, um, yeah that sure. speaks
2: my language. I definitely agree with you, Michael. I feel um, what you did to almost reinvent for 2020 um, was showing that agents still can have quite the success rate, right? even though uh, you had to pivot to virtual. Um, I think the luxury lunch and learn is fabulous. Um, and I bet a lot of people really took from that.
0: Yeah. I mean, we you know, try to bring as much value, you know, as possible. And, you know, with, with the upper end price points, they tend to take longer to sell and agents have to invest more time and energy and, you know, money. And, and many agents, you know, they don't want to buy Starbucks for their lender or title company rep, let alone invest in their own listing. So that's one reason many agents don't, you know, go after that price point as well. And so uh, in many markets, the pandemic helped those upper price points because what we've seen, uh, is, you know, those C-level executives that, you know, had to go to those major cities or live in those major cities to go to to, to corporate America every day now can work more remotely. And most of these companies are realizing that, that that works for a lot of people. And so, you know, those outlying suburbs with land and school, good schools, you know, they've benefited. So, uh, not just in Chicagoland, but, you know, through my podcast and the various connections I have, uh, you know, we're definitely seeing those upper price points um, healthier than they've been, you know, in, in a decade in in most of those outlining areas, Outlying areas. Yeah.
2: See, I, I find that really interesting because I and I guess this really goes into the next question of balance. So more people, like you say, even during this crisis and the pandemic and whatnot, you're seeing people want to, you know, get these dream homes in the, the spots with the good schools and spots where they can have this work-life balance, I bet, because people have really come to appreciate more of that. Um, balance is kind of our, our key word for our podcast. <laughs> Michael, what would you say? How would you define balance in your life? You're a father of three, um, very successful. I'm, like you said, you know, two years ago, you have 32 events a year, so you're probably traveling and flying and leaving now, I'm assuming maybe home more. How do you see that balance in your life? How do you define it?
0: Well, it's it's, it's definitely um, difficult. Uh, I'm an you know, entrepreneur and I'm on a lot, right? So on means, you know, you're always thinking about, you know, what's next and how can you optimize and how can you convert and how can you, you know, meet your goals? So uh, I'm definitely, a, you know, a, a high strung that way. So for me, um, work-life balance has always been a challenge. And, um, you know, getting is involved and in, in making commitments to, you know, your, your, your kids and your family, i.e. Uh, committing to coaching, right? So, you know, the team needs you. You can't skip out, uh, you know, committing to coaching. Uh, I love going to my kids' uh, basketball games. I'm not coaching right now basketball, but, you know, I, I love watching them compete, uh, I have the good fortune to be able to, uh, you know, take them to school each morning and pick them up, um, and that's a choice that, you know, I've made, uh, and it's it's brought me closer to them. Uh, but there's definitely that work-life balance, and having a partner, my wife, who who understands my job and understands that, you know, hey, on a Saturday, you know, we might have to go to one of these uh, mansions that I'm representing to, to be there for a showing in a heartbeat. So, you know, you definitely need to have a significant other, a partner that supportive, um, because it could be a lot, more a lot more stress on, on the relationship, on the family, you know, if they're not.
2: Yeah. 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 We were just talking about that earlier. You know, I, I, I think in this, this is so relevant to our listeners out there who are trying to balance their success in in work and then their success in marriage, and you know, a big part of this podcast is you know what is that secret and how do you do it because you see so many either end up in divorce yeah. or end up you know just trying to it's constantly this and um, I think what you said on finding someone who understands you and I'm, I'm assuming it's kind of got to go back and forth. You probably have to understand where your wife is coming from. She's probably balancing more with the kids and running around when you can, yeah. right? Yeah.
0: yeah, I'm a big believer in a couple of things. So I'm a big dis-personality guy, but I'm also, um, there's a book out there by Gary Chapman called The Five Love Languages. And uh, that's that's my book.
2: I love that book. I actually push the button. I love that book. It's true. I mean, if if you don't mind sharing, what is your love language, Michael?
0: Yeah. So for the listeners out there, there's five primary love languages. So mine happens to be words uh, of affection and Mm -hmm. and, uh, physical touch, right? And so my wife's is acts of service and time. And um, and so you know you need to you need to communicate and you need to love your significant other and your kids too your kids have different love languages. Um, Our church taught a a lesson uh, on the five love languages for kids. So I have three kids. Each of them have different love languages. So, you know, just like if you've coached sports, you can't coach kids all the same way. You can't yell at all the kids. Some kids need, you know, put your arm around them and encourage them, pat on the back. Others need the motivation. Others need a kick in the rear end. And and so, um, you know, parenting is a lot like, you know, running a team is a lot like just a marriage. So, uh, there's a lot of ups and downs and, and, um, you know, that balance is, is, is difficult, but I do feel like if you understand, uh, the personality types and, and love languages, um, you'll, you'll get each other, you'll get through to each other better, which, you know, helps.
2: Yeah. Recipe for success. Right oh yeah. There. I mean, look, we know
1: things could come un- unraveled very quickly in this business, right? Things, stress, um, problems at work, kids issues, all sorts of stuff going on and just day-to-day stuff with who's being homeschooled, who's at school, sure. who's having an issue at school. Mm-hmm. And then you're trying to juggle customers and clients that are arguing over something about a house. Right. Um, you know, I think, um, I think you hit the the nail on the head. You said, especially like I look at coaching kids, very similar to coaching adults. Like they're all a different personality and you cannot just yell and scream at them the same way thinking they're going to perform and get the best more. of them the same way. Yeah. Right. Everyone has a Way to push and motivate for the best results. Sure. Um Huge, huge thing. I'm glad you said it. And I know you, so you coach football, right? You love.
0: You so, yeah, everything. I coach. Um, I, I coached uh, college football for a few years and high school football. And now I coach um, my, my kids, you know, youth football.
1: Did you ever think you'd have that level of patience again to be able to do that at the younger level?
0: <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> And it's sometimes more, you know, it, it takes more patience, right. With, with your family and your, your loved ones. So like, even with all that, even knowing my wife's love languages and her knowing mine, right. There's, mm-hmm. there's times where, you know, you, you just, you agree to disagree. And, you know, I'm the type where, you know, I, 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 I voice my frustration sometimes loudly, whatever, but then I, I can move on. It's like, all right. And, you know, she's a little bit different where she wants to talk about it and, 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 sometimes forever, it brings things up, it seems like, you know, and so um it's just even knowing that like still sometimes doesn't ease the tension, right? So the reality is, you can have all the right answers, you can know what to do. But, you know, it's, it's still gonna, you know, be painful sometimes. Mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah, I think it is. Well,
2: that that's the, that's the the rhythm of, you know, with marriage and, you know, work and trying to figure that all out. I think it's, So key just to acknowledge that understanding your loved one in those intimate ways really will help a marriage and work-life balance. Like it it really will, knowing the buttons. And and like you said, sometimes the buttons are still pushed. Sometimes they still, you know, trickle down for a few (laughs) days. I mean, that's like reality of life It happens in my house too years right yes. I mean, yeah we brought up a good one 10 years ago it came up the other day i mean it still happens mm-hmm. um but it's that acknowledgement i feel like is a real recipe for success for marriage yeah. um with
1: yeah so yeah. you know the one thing that you and i share is or maybe similar i love your opinion on this on how you dealt with it but so when we traveled quite a bit i mean we we were being pulled in a lot of directions we're dealing with airports and planes and events Mm -hmm. that are being organized and at the same time life is happening at home right Mm -hmm. um i always had a challenge sometimes battling guilt guilt was big for me what i'm missing why i should be there why i'm missing that do you battle that too do you still battle that yeah,
0: absolutely. Um, I still battle it even though if I'm not traveling. Right. So if I'm, right. I'm showing a house or I'm missing last weekend, I, I missed my son's uh, one basketball game. Cause I had to show a house like, you know, they're pretty supportive of it and they understand, but yeah, if you care, there's, there's, there's that guilt factor because, you know, you got a big heart and, and, and you got love for your family. And so I think that's a good thing. I, I think if you didn't have guilt, and, and you didn't worry about it, that would be, uh, th- that's more of a red flag, I think, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, I don't, that's why I, I talk about guilt sometimes. I'm not, I'm okay to talk about it. It's transparent, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's okay to battle guilt. I think the, it's the awareness of it, right? Mm-hmm. So I think we try and go overboard to compensate sometimes when we're home. And maybe that's my own way of trying to, not that I wanna buy my children, but sometimes if they've done something really well in my absence, like they were, took responsibility and did something like last night that happened with me. And I, I went on Amazon. I bought him a few little things that for a couple bucks that I thought he really wanted as a thank you for being responsible. Mm -hmm. Uh And and when I sent that to him, he was like, wow, dad, thank you so much. You didn't have to do that. I'm like, I know, but you did this. So I want that memory sometimes not to make up for guilt, but just to show that we cared and we acknowledged it. Like Mm -hmm. you did this. Um, And it's hard to do because, you know, kids are in such a fickle stage right now. I know, you know, we're talking about our kids and, they're in such a challenging time of dealing with lack yeah. of social, right? Lack yeah. of connection, lack of all this. Um, what, so your kids' ages now, anybody in the school system now or where are they at?
0: Yeah, so we've been very fortunate. Uh, so my kids are all elementary, fifth, fourth, and third grade. So my boys are fifth and fourth and my daughter's in third grade. And uh, they, they delayed school one week, but my kids have been going five days a week in person since September 1st and um so we're very fortunate that way but then you know uh you know t- the next town over they just started going in person you know uh last month so it's it's just kind of all over the place um so ho- hopefully uh, this this will end soon
2: yeah no that that's amazing that your kids have been there ours just kind of went back too yeah. um i have to acknowledge a few things one Sounds like your love language is gift giving, which I you don't, probably you, don't know. That. See, no, I, I
1: have to do. We have to go through. This has to be right, another episode. Right. we got to do this love language. I've done DISC many a time. Right, right. I think right. You know My personality.
2: Um, but I, I like what you said, Michael, about and I, I, I I've i done a lot. I'm certified life coach and I, I've done a lot. This is like my my niche. I love it. But using guilt as a good thing. You know, honestly, I don't think I've ever heard those words because to me, guilt is always a bad thing but what you said, using guilt as a good thing, feeling guilty just means that you care. It's interesting.
0: Uh-huh. And I, and maybe I, it may, it may guilt isn't the right word, but I know what Jeff's dealing with, because I feel that as well. And uh-huh. if, if that in fact is guilt, then, then I think, that means you care and you you, you know you well, want it it shows
2: you, you you give you know you really do care about the situation i i too deal with a lot of guilt mom's guilt and you know i coach as well and you know i i have a lot of those same feelings um my husband too traveled for years dealt with terrible terrible guilt because he missed he worked in philadelphia and lived in new jersey and it was mm. just you know hard um so he would have guilt. But again, knowing like the the bit of that guilt, that, you know, vulnerability of like, I just want to be there. I need to be there with my family. Um, you know, isn't the worst thing to, to look at it like that, which I I Mm did like. Um, and I noticed you said before that you're an on guy, you're on a lot. How do you shut it (laughs) off? Like, if, if you were to tell me, okay, Nikki, Jeff, these are like my few tips to shutting it off. Cause I have to imagine at some point the on guy shuts it off. You're an on guy. So, oh, you know, he's the same thing running, 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 running gears, always going. Um, do you just crash at like 10 o'clock at night? Are you shot? How you, do you know, a, ch-
0: a, change, a change of environment is, 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 really good for me. So I, I tend to, when I'm on vacation or I do travel or, or away, um, For whatever reason, like I'm, I'm, you know, that phone. is My wife might tell you otherwise, but I feel like that phone isn't attached as well uh, to me, and um, and so I just feel like I sleep better. I'm not worried about it now. Of course, the the, if there's a big transaction or there's fires to put out, and you're, you know, you can't be somewhere. That's either a good thing or bad thing. Good thing from the standpoint. Hey, how much I can do? I got to rely on, you know, these people to help or it's it's going to uh, increase your stress. But I found just, uh, and I don't do it that well. Uh, I could always do better. But, you know, having the phone out of sight, out of mind, having the, the ringer off, so you're not hearing the chimes of a text and, you know, the the FOMO, right? The fear of missing out. Oh, that was a text. Oh, I got to check that. So, so for me, uh, sometimes, you know, you got to check the email you got to t- check the text and if it's on mute it, and it's out of sight out of mind i don't feel the need and the urge to to reply back right away and right. and you know being a, a driver you know i know sometimes when people text they expect immediate response because they could right. see if you you know viewed it or not or seen the text right. and you know managing expectations a lot as well i mean i have a client right now who's on all the time and You know, I know if I don't get back to her right away, she feels neglected. And so I just got to remind her that there's, you know, other clients out there and I have other commitments and, you know, I prioritize throughout the day. So if if an offer comes in and I'm going to focus on that, just like I would do if an offer comes in for your place. And I hope you can appreciate that.
2: Yes. What I'm hearing is boundaries. Like it's important to have some of those to turn it off. Well, I think there's a fear of loss
1: of that client. If you don't have a boundary, Like, like, am I going to lose the client? because they're unhappy with me because I set a boundary. There's always that fear mm-hmm. of how they're going to feel about you and they didn't get back to me quick enough. Or am I going to get a bad review? Or are they going to do this mm-hmm. because of that? So I think we fear boundaries for the the sake of the client experience, but but you need them. You need them. You, you, need you them. really
2: do need them. Um, and I think like what you said, even turning the ringer off, that's a great tip. You know, it's funny. We just spoke with another um, you know, we had a fabulous guest on, Uh, a week or so ago who we talked about the phone, the phone came up again. This seems to be like an underlining thing for fast paced specialists in the world of business is this, the phone. Like it's just, we're, we're, we're burdened by the phone and to turn your ringer off is respectful, say dinner time, you know, like we're having dinner. We're actually home. (laughs) Right, Jeff? Good luck with that. I'm serious. I know. I know. The kids, too. We got the kids exactly. in at the table with the damn phone. They I mean, should I... have theirs off as well. Just so yeah. that, that, ding- that dinging can really get to you. The notification. You're right. Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, out. so my
0: kids, my kids don't have phones yet. But, um, you know, my wife and I have, you know, talked about and I know it's easier said than done. Uh, but, you know, we've talked about when our kids do have phones, you know, having you know, like almost a basket. Hey, put your phones in here. When we're at dinner, you know, let's, let's, let's be engaged, you know, and um, you know, there are, there are some things that are going to be challenges. These kids are used to instant technology with video games and, and um,
2: exactly. It's all instant grat. You know, I mean, my, my kids don't know how to watch a TV show with commercials. Like they just, can't handle it like us. We had to sit through commercials, we had to sit yeah. through not knowing what was on TV that night. You just had oh. to like go with it, like they <laughs> don't know right. how to do that, right? Um, right. so and good for you for holding off. I, I too held off with the phone with my, my kids. I have 13, 11, and five, and my 13 and 11 didn't get the phone till they were in sixth grade. So I waited grade. till six. That's so, hard. That's our Um. And it wasn't easy because they were the last ones and everyone else was doing their thing. But I felt like I needed a little bit of that. I think
1: schools are driving. They said that as soon as they move up to sixth or seventh grade, schools require them to have it to do some of the, for Google Docs and Google (laughs) this and presentation. So I'm like, now I got, now the school's got, I'm trying to fight this battle and you're trying to tell them they need it
2: Right, right. New iPhones. It's crazy.
1: The, um. You know, so back to some of your your listings, I think there's a lot of wow factor in some of the luxury stuff you talk about mm-hmm. and some of the luxury listings. We were looking at some of your your listings you've either sold or you're marketing and That's awesome. 15 million, 8 million, 20 million. Um, any fun stories about, you know, whether it was a celebrity that you could talk about or some fun things about luxury that um, you can share on a property that you either sold or were marketing? Um, any cool stories that come out of that? Because I got to believe there's, there's there's like always that big stuff that's yeah. happening with yeah the yeah.
0: yeah there's been there's been some pretty fun stories um on on properties you know this one that i'm still marketing was on the tv show empire and uh which it was the main character terrence howard's house on the tv show and they used it as the backdrop and, and um Hi. it was on fox for six years and the fifth season uh season f- uh, premiere uh they filmed it in august and uh, i was there for it and uh, you know it was like a it was like a movie set it was pretty cool and um, while they were filming inside I was out by by the pool it's a beautiful pool and um, I did a facebook live out there and uh, the guy came out and you know, one of the producers and he's like hey man he was cool he wasn't mad or anything but he goes we got this thing this whole thing f- and grounds of eight acres mic'd up you know and right. we could hear you inside <laughs> yeah. and uh he's like we gotta redo that scene so i was like i was like oh shoot you know uh that was, that was pretty fun but you know demi moore was on that um uh, season so you know demi moore was you know re- you know in the same room with me and some of them that was that was pretty cool uh, but yeah, we've done some pretty pretty cool events at our properties. I did this this event where um, this exotic car club uh, stopped at at my listing, and they uh, they did this little you know talk and scavenger type hunt thing, and uh, there were you know forty exotic cars there. I mean, it was like probably ten million dollars worth of vehicles. It was ridiculous. So. Um, There's some fun things, you know, I tell real estate agents here, you know, most people know ROI is return on investment, but the second type of ROI is return on impression. And, you know, you're, you're definitely going to get a lot more likes and comments and, and that sort of thing from, you know, your, your million dollar, your luxury. And it's all relative. I did this training, you know, uh, uh, Matt Fagioli from the Explode Conference. I did this training in Kokomo, Indiana, and, and an agent came up to me and said, Mike, I didn't even. She goes, we have uh, we don't have million dollar plus properties here. So I was hesitant to come to your training, but our average sale price is eighty thousand dollars. But I teach for our class. You know, luxury pricing is all relative to that given market. So we talk about luxury home pricing being three times the average sale price for that market. So 80 times three, 250. She goes, we have a lot of 250s and threes, some fours and fives, but we just don't have a million dollars. So it's really all relative. You don't have to be a Beverly Hills or, uh, you know, Cape Cod agent to sell luxury. That's just false.
1: That's Um, that's really good. That's mm -hmm. really good. I do. I do know we run across that quite a bit. Where, you know, what is the definition of luxury? You know, Mm -hmm. people look at this as being like a town or location, but in your market, like I said, if if your average is this and yet, so at 250, 300 still needs that level of expertise because it is way above the norm Mm -hmm. and you've got to get creative in your marketing. And I know that's one thing you've been known for, for many, many years, which is one thing I value about working with you is the creativity, like getting the car club to come by and having that, like that's like getting all this pool of money and vehicles and impressions not only potentially for them to potentially be buyers, mm-hmm. but look at the traction you're going to get to that listing yeah. by all of their friends and influence. Yeah. Right. So those unique ideas that most people put it on, do photography, boom, done and then wait. And hope. Right. Right. And yeah. there's no such thing as. Okay. Yeah. Now most thinking-
0: people are reactive, right. They throw it on the computers and they wait for somebody else to sell it. And, you know, I come from the market where Chicagoland's been a buyer's market in this, in those upper price points. For, for years. And so I couldn't do that, right? Like if I, I don't get paid to list homes, I get paid when they close, right? So you had to be creative, you had to be aggressive. I'll never forget. I had an agent from California reach out to me and he was frustrated because he had these listings that aren't selling. They've been on for so long. They've been on for about 30 to 60 days. And I about spit up my coffee thinking that's it. You know, some of these properties we represent are on for a while. So you definitely as an agent need to diversify your clients you work with, because if the lower price ones are selling, you know, you have to diversify a little bit, but But adding some of those high end ones, because I do believe the fastest way for an agent, a broker, a team leader to get instant credibility from their database and their sphere and people that know them, like them and trust them. And matter of fact, people that don't even like them or know them that well, you, you land and you consistently land those high end and trophy listings. I mean, I had someone on my sports, my kids baseball team that I didn't even know that well. And I didn't even think they knew I was in real estate. And they're like, oh, I saw you got that one listing. You know, I jogged by it on the prairie path. And it's like, if that was an average price property, they probably wouldn't notice. But because it was a significant, unique property, people take notice. Yeah.
1: Graham, do you ever, do you ever bring the kids out there? Somebody's homes on your show? Oh, yeah.
0: I, I, my kids. um It's funny. You know, the kids will ask what price it is and stuff. And <laughs> they're like, man, like, I, I don't think that's worth $7 million. Like... <laughs> <laughs> like and they're not snotty about it because their houses are way bigger and nicer than ours. But um, they they kind of you know um, they're they're getting used to it. So yeah, they've been in a lot of my videos and stuff, and it's it's fun. It's fun. Awesome. Cool.
1: Well, look. I want. Time- I mean, I,
0: honestly, I want them to appreciate. Okay. Okay. I was just saying, I just want them to appreciate, you know, so if dad's working and can't make their game, they know what I'm doing. So they'll ask, hey, how did the showing go? How did this go? You know, because I want them involved a little bit because, you know, I want them to, to know what I do for a living.
1: That's right. I think that's the important part is when you say daddy's working or daddy's at work, they know what that means now. They know right. the flow of it. They understand it. And then sometimes I think they'll live and brag to their friends about it too. Like oh, what yeah. mommy and daddy do or yeah. whatever it is. Yeah. Um, I think they like that because they feel involved. And I think in general, in today's world and maybe this will be the, the wrap up con- conversation is people just want to feel part of the solution. They want to feel part of the, they, they want to feel like they matter. Right. Mm-hmm. I and mean, when you can bring the kids in and the family in and show them the process. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you had your daughter here last week too. She was checking yeah. out the studio and mm-hmm. like, just what do we do to make them understand? And a lot of it's wow factor because they don't see this part of life. Right. Right. Um, so bringing people out into your world a little bit, um, yeah. I think makes all the difference in the world.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. I I think Michael, you've given so many um, interesting takes um, for someone who's obviously very driven and successful. Um, really worked your way, you know. You you've done so much in your career, um, and then you know, managing to balance um, your marriage and your children. And um, I, I really had some really great takeaways today, and I appreciate you talking with us.
0: Absolutely, thank you.
1: So with If the people want to get a hold of you, what's the best way to reach out for either luxury training or just to pick your brain? What's the best way for them to get you?
0: Yeah, so our um, our websites, marketingluxurygroup.com, marketingluxurygroup.com. They can find out more about me, coaching. Uh, We have a designation for real estate agents, which is called luxury listing specialist, and that website's luxurylistingspecialists.com. And via email, it's just Michael at marketingluxurygroup.com. Michael at marketingluxurygroup.com. Awesome.
1: Thank you guys. For, uh, thank you for being here. really appreciate you. Um, for everyone else, if you want to reach out to us, breaking balance at sparktankmedia.com. And here's another uh, session wrapped up with uh, awesome. Michael Lupito. Really appreciate you, man. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks Michael. Michael. Thank you guys.